Hey everyone, welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere. Good podcast or soul. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan. I'm joined first by the usual cast of characters. Firstly, he is the platform prodigy. He is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? I'm good. I'm here uh, to tell you that the new Idols record absolutely thumps. And uh, when I do my top five albums of the year, it will probably be the only one I'll make because it's the only album I've listened to this year. But it's really good. <laughs> it will be occupying slots one through five. Possibly, quite possibly. Okay, fair enough. Uh, also joined by the man himself, the Roman Reigns of audio. It's Jack Lazell. Jack. Yeah, I just want to say that my album of the year and every year is Big Willie Style by Will Smith. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, spoiler alert, but uh, it's it's coming in strong. You know, there was in an Miami. intense. There was an intense what must have been five minute discussion uh, before we started recording between the three of us, uh, whether we preferred Big Willie style or Willennium. And uh, I'm I'm pleased to report Willennium carried or uh, Big Willie style carried the vote two to one. Well, um, I, I legitimately couldn't remember which songs were on which album. And I thought that at least Miami would have been on Willennium. But it turns out all of the big hitters are on Big Willie style. Well, I say big hitters, but the biggest hitter being Wild Wild West is on uh, on Millennium. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, uh, it's, I still it's all think Will, that wins. It's all but... Will Smith, so yeah. they're all big hitters. Yeah, yeah. guys, guys, we're talking about the Fresh Prince here. Yeah. They're all bangers. Okay, yeah. <laughs> there is no chopper here. <laughs> but uh, Mark, it's not just the three of us this week talking about Will Smith as we do apparently now on this podcast. Uh, we are joined by a very special guest. If you'd like to introduce him. Yeah, I want to say returning guest, but this would have been from an old podcast that I used to have, um, that I have like random episodes up on YouTube. A spiritual uh, returning us... guest. Yeah, I know, spiritual returning guest. Uh, we have the creative director at Mediatonic, Jeff Tanton is here. Uh, and Jeff, uh, thank you very much for taking time out of what I would have to imagine has been a pretty uh, hectic couple of months for you. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's lovely to be here. I am. Uh, it is pretty busy at the moment. I'm not going to lie to you, but uh, I, I'm actually more concerned around the protocol of coming in on a you know discussion around Will Smith before you've been introduced in a podcast because there was there was a lot being thrown about there, uh, and uh, I just kind of feel that I'm glad Big Willie Style has um, is is you know in your own personal debate. Um, it's picked out as the Will Smith album of choice. Um, yes. But I just, you know, I mean, it is, I mean, it's the correct answer. Um, and you. really, uh, all if bands wanted to uh, kind of, I, I guess, gain that best album slot um, from you know, 1999 through to, you know, 2020, all they needed to do was was write a better album than Big Willie style, and they've singularly failed to do it. So, That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm yeah. saying, man. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad. I just didn't want to miss that because I thought there was a lot of strong, good opinions coming in there. But uh, yeah, it's it's been wild at Mediatonic. Um, I think we're eight weeks uh, after the launch of, of Four Guys now. Um, it seems to have had some impact. And uh, <laughs> some, I think it will be safe <laughs> to say. It's a, we're just we're just eternally cautious, uh, you know, because as Mark indicated, he spoke to me. Last time, about six years ago, where um, I, you know, we just kind of released Foul Play, and I was like, "This is it. This is as big as it gets." And uh, I'm pretty sure everything's going to be great from this point on, and everyone's going to buy the video game, and everything's going to be fine. And then I learned a lot about the games industry uh, and how um, 
generally like there is no such thing as a guaranteed success so yeah it's it's really weird like if we can turn and look at all of this stuff that's happening with four guys and be really excited um but i think people have been for media time long enough we're, we're just incredibly cautious and not wanting to call it a success in case it goes away at any point yeah i mean i guess like um the, i mean the first question i was going to ask was uh you know a little bit about like the formation of how four guys came to be uh, and and the obvious things being hey so how much to cash's castle did you watch but i guess actually i'm more interested in you know i'm i'm sure as the game is coming up to launch that you was hoping for success and I'm, I, I would imagine that um the level of success that the game has had took everyone there by surprise and you know what for you you know what like looking at say the next six months or so um have you kind of drastically kind of rethought about okay like what do we do going forward with this game as compared to maybe what the, the roadmap may have been just coming up to the launch of the game yeah i think you know that that's a pretty astute question so we had um we had three roadmaps and this isn't unheard of for, for kind of you know games that you expect to run live operations and and you know as a studio we still our hand on a lot of kind of mobile stuff so we're really used to working you know games as a service we had three plans um approaching four guys and uh one of them was our kind of moonshot, like, well, this would be the best case scenario. Um, we'd need to actually expand the team that we have on on the game at the moment, um, which is, you know, a wild thing to consider. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, kind of like build up and, and make sure we can keep knocking out um, content. And then there was a plan which is like, look, this is probably likely where it's going to fall. We'd need to ramp down, take the team down a little bit because as you move towards launch, it's kind of all hands on deck and then we'll kind of ramp it down. And um, that's probably where we'll be and we'll, and we'll do what we can in that period to, to kind of like keep things keep things going. And then there was a, look, this thing has just fallen off a cliff. So sadly, we need to, you know, move move the people on our team to other projects and, and X, Y, and Z and, and basically look at, you know, how long before we sunset the game, which is always worst case scenario, you know, because if a game's not making any money, it's, uh, you can't keep a team running on it forever. You know, you're, you're, it's just kind of the relative thing. We flew by the like our highest expectation moonshot within, um, I'll be honest, minus 48 hours of the game being launched, <laughs> um, just wow. through pre-orders. Uh, and and, and the, I can be ambiguous there because you don't know what we would consider a moonshot and <laughs> I think our expectations were quite... Um, would that have also included everything to do with PS Plus as well? Yeah, well, PS Plus was the kind of, for us, we, we knew that, we're, that there would be, um, you know, like the DLC packs on sale. And, we, and for us, it'd be like, well, it would be lovely if people buy those packs, you know, and, and then we make something. But we'd already kind of decided that um, you know, the PS Plus deal for us was was an expansion play, you know. It was, it was just make sure, can we make sure we have enough people in, in the game? We know it worked really well for Rocket League. Um, and obviously there would be there was a bit of a figure involved up front with with Sony, which I'm not going to speak about. But but for us it was like yeah that was all kind of like part of the development and under and kind of understood. So no that was not including that. Um, yeah this was all just like purely off of the the kind of the pre-sales on Steam. We knew we were in a, a decent position. But again like we were being super conservative. Like this is not we had a, when I say moonshot 
like we're a studio haven't had a huge breakout hit before so for us moonshot yeah. was like gosh this is nice we'll be able to keep this game running for at least another six months you know and um and see where it goes uh, so the fact that flew by that um isn't wild when you look at what's kind of happened since um but yeah like it, what we've had to do is not change plans but just kind of times them by like three or four so like a team that we decided to you know the level of team we decided to build is like okay well we're going to go bigger on this you know and, and that's kind of where we are at the moment so we're not scrabbling for like oh my god what do we do the plan hasn't really changed but it it has just used the reception of the game it's, it's, it's got bigger uh, something that really fascinates me, like thinking about games coming out in, in 2020, is that like game development seems very much like from everything I read and just from my outside perspective, like a, a stressful experience getting that the product shipped through to market. Um, but obviously, you know, things may have changed considerably this year with the impact of, of COVID and that. Um, we talk a little bit about how how COVID impacted that that final period of getting the game over the line um, for you and and for everyone at the studio. So at this point, I'll caveat that um, you know, being creative director, I work across multiple projects, um, so I'm not I'm not as much in the trenches as as you know some of the people on the team really were in this final period. I was I was the person there at kind of every play test and. And, and trying not to give unhelpful feedback whilst it, whilst it was all happening because you know you reach a point in development where it's like you can't help if you know from from the outside you know you're just going to get in the way of people who are super focused on what they're doing yeah um but when it came to yeah like covid huge shout out to our kind of our, our people team in the studio our our it team like everything like we were both fortunate and unfortunate that we have this beautiful new studio in Victoria um, that we'd packed up our current studio with the, like everything into boxes like and after this weekend we all go to work in the new studio and that was exactly when lockdown hit so we still have a beautiful <laughs> studio that we've never visited but on the plus side everyone had packed everything up you know <laughs> and uh, and when it was like okay well we need to deliver now you know artists need their Cintiqs and their tablets and, and laptops Everyone just moved really fast. The teams have been incredible. I maintain it's been much harder on um, producers, like project managers and just people in lead and management positions in general, because you've lost that ability to just get everyone into a room quite quickly and have a conversation yeah. or to just turn around at someone's desk and quickly fix a thing that you can hear happening around you, which is like, oh, no, 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 not that, you know, all of that. Um, has taken more time and I've got huge respect, but, but honestly, every every single person um, on the team, and I know this kind of goes, runs throughout the industry, has just been an absolute hero and adapted remarkably quickly. Uh, but yeah, like it was extra pressure, like finishing full guys and getting full guys out whilst dealing with lockdown and a whole new way of working um, was, a, was, <laughs> was significant, I'd say. Do you think, um, like going forward, because one of the things that we've seen with uh, the gaming industry is, and you know, other industries at large, is about how not only being reactive to uh, the, the lockdowns and stuff, but being proactive going forward um, in terms of like, okay, you know, is, is this a thing that we will do going forward? Even if, um, you know, there's a, a vacancy, a, a, sorry, vacancy, uh, a vaccine for uh, COVID within like the next year. Yeah. But is this something that you thought about at this point? Like, okay, you know, will we continue to, to do remote work? Will we use this as a way to look at, you know, like I don't know what your uh, hiring practices are or, or who you have 
employed in positions if they're all based within the UK or you're looking abroad, uh, if, if this is kind of like, okay, maybe we can pull people in from different countries because, you know, we know that this kind of remote work like type of work actually does work for us now is this something that's been kind of thought about over the last I don't know, six months or so yeah you couldn't not right i mean because there's a there's a lot of reasons behind that and like one of them is um covid in general like there's going to be a certain subset of your staff that are just going to take a very long time to be comfortable coming back into those kind of situations i think that's entirely understandable but i know what you're asking it's long term and i think like you we couldn't have gone through the the experience that we have without that kind of fundamentally i wouldn't say changing our minds but i think speeding along um our transition to like being a, a studio that's much more kind of proactive around remote working um we've already started kind of like putting stuff in place at mediatonic um i think there are some roles and i think there are some situations where being being able to be present in the studio is still super important but i think what we've banished entirely is the idea that that has to be five days a week you know every, every single day in the studio like there are ways that you can work around that um and yeah i i think it will kind of fundamentally change there was some research done uh recently kind of like internally um within the industry and what's interesting is that across a lot of studios um like the staff workforce the split of people who are much happier now that everything is remote and people who desperately want to get back to a studio is actually about 50 yeah. 50. Uh, and i think what you what you see um with the remote working is a lot of people i think vocally saying you see i told you it was fine it was great and these are the people who have suffered in silence because they hate studios you know <laughs> so quite right for them like this is this is your moment to high five and be like see we see it we told you it was completely possible and brilliant and i don't think what you're getting much of is all the people who are actually massively struggling with it at the moment and, yeah. and, and really kind of actually I, I, understanding that they require um, their way of working as an environment that um, does require a lot of people around you and is in a more kind of physical space. Uh, so really we need to cater to both those types of people as much as we can. Mm. So uh, one of the things that I absolutely love about the game is the fact that it kind of throws me back to my childhood of loving Mario Party and WarioWare and stuff like that. Um, and I just wondered, like, were you a fan of those games um, when you were growing up? And did, did they have kind of like that little bit of influence on there with the, the sort of thing that Mark was saying, maybe Takeshi's Castle? And uh, one of the cool things, I think, is because of the way your game is set up, you don't have to just stick to like one idea pretty much the sky is the limit in terms of a future things that you can come up with uh, i think that's awesome oh well thanks i mean like I, both of those I, I, can, I can speak to mario party is something i've been super aware of but was never cool enough to play um <laughs> I I had... right uh, yeah. <laughs> as mario party players i assure you we are not cool <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i ever had enough friends because when i was one so i was like get mario party it's like now you need to convince uh at least three or four other people to play a very very long game <laughs> they will all hate you afterwards as well yeah. they will all hate you afterwards it will go on for an incredibly long time i think uh, I, remember, I remember as a as a 10 year old or 11 year old whenever the first one came out once trying to play a 50 turn mario party by myself and it was one of the worst experiences <laughs> of my life <laughs> did you carry it through i think i did yeah oh, i'm impressed 
Incredible. Uh, well, I mean, that, that's that's amazing. But I'm um, like, yeah, totally aware of the, the, you know, what Mario Party is doing in the mini game aspect. I think WarioWare is, is, is a much closer touch point. And even on the initial pitch deck, I went back and forth about putting WarioWare as one of the, um, the, the you know, the three major influences that kind of help people understand the game. But it was there and it, and, and it continued to be there. Um, both in the way we think about the rounds in general, as in, like you say, you can just pivot to something else and it can still kind of make sense. But actually on a much more fundamental design level, one of the things I love about WarioWare is that you are, like, it delivers an instruction. Um, and most of the time you understand, even though you've only got a few seconds to react, most of the time you understand what you need to do just by like a two word or three word instruction. And we set that same restriction for the stages in Fall Guys, as in you have to be able to explain the aim of this stage in four words or less. So you know, get to the end, um, collect all the eggs, uh, don't fall down, you know, um, <laughs> like which match the fruit, uh, like all of those things, which sounds completely ridiculous. But for us, like if, if you started to kind of push beyond that, um, we realised, you know, this is already too complex around, and and we're we're not into it. Yeah, I I I completely agree with that, and that's one of the things that initially I I found super intuitive. But also one of the good things about doing that is you're not actually giving anybody any tactic as to how to do it. So obviously you get your hardcore players who are getting to like the level forties and they've got it down and stuff. But to me, one of the the things I loved about, especially the early phase of the game, is quite a vast majority of people in there had no concept really as to what the best way to do something was and by not really giving anyone anything it allows that real kind of freedom for uh, for creative thinking like if you pick up a Fortnite or a or a Warzone or something like that regardless of um you know the the nuances of the game you kind of have a good tactical idea of how to play that but was yeah. well, Fall Guys the first time you play it, you're like oh god what am I going to do here and it's so fun <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I'm super glad. Like, what we, it was another reason why we didn't give the four guys any kind of like special powers um, beyond the ability to kind of like fall over. Uh, <laughs> That's my was, special power. How did you? Yeah, know? <laughs> <laughs> like, right. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was asked because uh, we took it to a number of publishers, and there was one particular representative from a very major publisher who, and it's a guy like I I, I have immense respect for. Like, he always challenges me. And I've you know I've pitched from a number of times. We we meet up and and and, and have drinks when we can, um, out of the major shows. He has an incredible design brain, and he always you know he, he always challenges me in really interesting ways. And I always feel like I'm in a workout when he's talking to me. And I remember he was like, okay, so the you know the four guys in order to kind of take it you know forward of this publisher, you know one of the things I really need to understand is like what is it that they they do? And you know he he lists a couple of other major problems it is from this publisher they're like look this is the thing that kind of makes them distinct what do the four guys do and i just couldn't answer and and you know like and that's fine like sometimes I'm, I'm happy saying you know i don't know i don't think it, i don't you know I, I see it more like this x y and z but uh, it wasn't until we started development where i realized like oh they just they fall over that, that that's the thing that they do better than anyone else like you, you play a platformer and most platformers uh Kind of live or die on you having trust in the controls you know and 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 being able to understand that when i jump 
and I push the stick in this far and, and I have this much momentum, I will land here because that's fundamental to the enjoyment of the game. And Fall Guys just like actively like, no, we will, we will trip over a, a small step if you come at us like the wrong way. Um, and then and ultimately that's where the emergence and a lot of fun for most of the rounds comes from. Yeah, I love that the power is just my guy looks slightly snazzier than yours if I play the <laughs> yeah. game. Yeah, two two of the things that like you know, and I I could sit here for ages listing the things I love about Fall Guys, but but two of my my favorite things about it that kind of um spin off that is be- because they're as you say the special powers that they fall down. Um, when I play Fall Guys, and I am very bad at Fall Guys, I, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll throw my hands in the air. But what, what I will say about it is that when I play other kind of online multiplayer games, um, very quickly, within a couple of weeks, I get to a situation where I feel like I shouldn't even be playing online because everybody has figured this thing out now. Yeah. I am just I, I'm just not going to have fun. But because of the, the them falling down, because of the, the physics of the game, I always feel that I have like a puncher's chance. You know, the, yes. the playing field very, feels very level, not only for me, but I think about, say, friends or relatives of mine that don't really play video games. This is that once or twice a year game. I can just throw a controller into somebody's hand sitting beside me and they will have a great time, win, lose or draw in Fall Guys. And then the, the other thing, uh, we were ta- when the game came out and the three of us were obsessed with it and we, we spent maybe half an hour talking about it the first week it came out um the other thing i love so much about it is something that I've, i i i see in games like splatoon as well which is that the the speed with which the matchmaking happens the speed at which you can go from failing on a round to getting <laughs> right back in it feels really crucial to the experience like it, it feels like if i was sitting there for a minute two minutes to get back in i'd be I'd be tearing my hair out because, yeah. you know, I'd come so close to the crown and now I have to wait several minutes. Um, how important were, were those two two aspects in getting the, the game experience down? Yeah, like like massively critical. And and the, the first one around, um, like you say, that, that sense that anyone can win was so crucial to the design. And also, I would say one of the hardest parts to convince other people that, that it was going to be okay. Even we weren't sure, you know, because battle royales have traditionally have a very high skill ceiling. Um, and that's what kind of makes them uh, appealing to to a very certain subset of players. And we were banking hard um, on people like me who uh, actually find most online gaming incredibly stressful, you know, and oh. will will steer away from it because it's like I don't want to be the person who lets down the whole team or who is so obviously yeah. the person screwing everything up yeah. for everything else you know you are among friends here Jeff <laughs> <laughs> right good found my people yeah. so yeah like I was like I, I honestly feel that if someone said hey join this fun mass online game because you like fundamentally the idea of playing with lots of people is fun I'm like yes it is but the, the, the reality is so often being like horrible and toxic and we were like we just I'm sure that if you make it accessible enough, people do actually want that big connected experience. They like playing with the, the, the chaos of playing with other people. But for us, we never wanted to kind of create an environment where there'd be one person absolutely owning it, you know, and making everyone else feel stupid about what they were doing. And the dream, like almost like you say, the dream was on any given day, anyone can win. You know, you can hand that control pad to 
the, your littlest brother, you know, and, uh, and 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 they wouldn't screw it up. Like they 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 they, they, they might just grab the crown that day. Um, on uh, the other, what was the other aspect you, you hit me with? The the quick matchmaking. The quick matchmaking. Yeah, that's all credit to the um, engineering team uh, in general. Like they had to had to handle a huge amount and the matchmaking in general and that's the back-end team as well like the the uh, both our client our client like facing team and our server side team just did wonders kind of getting our matchmaking to a point where we we could kind of hold our own uh, amongst you know other battle royales and not look completely ridiculous so yeah I'm sure there must have been that kind of like lump in the throat moment because as much as you can stress test things as you're seeing those pre-orders tick up, like, oh. are we going to be ready? Is the thing going to shit itself? You know. <laughs> and I'll be honest, you know, you, you saw saw the first couple of weeks. It it could have been it could have been cleaner, um, but but so much of that was was just the scale. Again, like we had prepared. Again, we had prepared for actually a scale which looked ridiculous on paper. You know, for for all, all the things that need to be brought up. And it really was just like, oh, guys, calm down. It's not going to be that popular. And then, like you say, you know, the the I think we had something like four hundred thousand concurrent users um, at some point in the opening week. It might have, wow. it might have gone up to five hundred. Like it was something fairly ridiculous. And um, you know, like in any situation, that would that would kind of break any game. And, and we've actually had some wonderful people reach out from from major battle royale publishers and just say, look. If, <laughs> If, if the matchmaking or, or the server side breaks in the first week, that's that's the best sign you can hope for, you know, like it happens <laughs> to all of us. Um, but for us, it, we were, you know, it was terrifying because we didn't want to, we had so much goodwill from the community mm. that we didn't want to just um, lose all of that yeah. by kind of like killing the game um, within the first week. But again, the server side team, the, 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 they worked so incredibly hard in those first two weeks to get the game to a point where I think it's like really super stable now. The, the I, I have a... Sorry, Sorry, I was going to say, I have a, a controversial question that I want to bring up. And we already is... asked about Will Smith. Yeah, yeah no, that's a... <laughs> the, the second most controversial question, and that is uh, team or cooperative levels. Um, I Everything we've been saying here about how, you know, the agency and you have, you know, whether you win or lose, it, it's all down to you. I feel like the team levels is the one area where that isn't always the case and yeah. you may be putting in your best effort and sometimes just the rest of the team have decided that they want to go chase after that red ball on the right hand side and not push your ball down the, the middle sure. uh, towards the end goal um, is like I don't know how much um, how how you're kind of analyzing like feedback and, and data you get in terms of like what players are talking about um, I do feel that that's one area where, uh, like for me, and it's, it's something that I've addressed on, on the podcast before, where the, the one time that the game does frustrate me is with the team levels, yeah. um, because I do think they are like designed as well as like the, the, the other levels, but it's just the inherent thing that because they're team-based and because you rely on other people, and because you know the difference where you have with other battle royales, whether it be like a, a Warzone or a Fortnite, is usually you, you're playing with people that you know and using you know Discord or whatever to communicate with them. Obviously, you know, uh, Fall Guys does not work in any way like that. Where that would be the case, unless you're using party mode. But for the most part, no. Just you get thrown into a team level with random people, and yeah. you have no way of knowing like what they're doing. And and there is a, a fun to that in some ways, and a chaos to that that. 
is part of like the charm of Fall Guys in that it is chaos. But sometimes, you know, you might be on a good run of about two or three levels where you've done really well and then that success is taken out of your hands because of just, you know, a team level that's just fallen to pieces. Yes. Bad um, things happen to you in this sense, Mark. Sometimes. I've, <laughs> I've had a couple of <laughs> I've had a couple of bad experiences with some of the team levels. That's all I wanted to say. Uh, but yeah, I just don't know if like this is feedback that you've had uh, kind of, you know, uh, is it is it like a common thing that you hear from the, the community? Yeah. Or is it I just know there have been some doesn't like working with other people. <laughs> no, 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 but I know I know that you made one change uh, where like you wouldn't get I think it was like two concurrent uh, team level yeah. in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Um but I didn't know if there was like more that you kind of thought about with this kind of thing. I like I, basically, I know, I, I hear what you're saying, it is super contentious, and then you're right, we've made certain tweaks, um, certainly on some more popular levels, we've we've dialed back a little bit, and like you say, no back-to-back -back team levels. Um, I I fall on a contentious side here, Mark. Um, and That's okay, we're, we're here to have healthy debate. You know? <laughs> healthy debate. So I feel, and I, can, and I understand the frustration, but this actually ties in again to... Um, that wider sense of like a, a really, really great player can never like be absolutely sure of having the same experience each time. Like I find with what team games do is like they can frustrate, but what they what they act as is a kind of a great leveler as well um, for, for the rest of the community. So really like speed running great players will find the efficiency in every kind of single player um, situation and 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 they in full guys they still have to manage for the emergence um, of of the mass, but uh, ultimately like you'll still be getting the same people in you know reaching those final rounds and and playing the game in the same way, and I find that even though there is a, a more vocal outcry around the team games, I, I think what they do is for the really good players. They actually kind of act as a way of like not guaranteeing their success and allowing others to get through. Because I feel, again, it's about how loud people are and, and, and the kind of people who complain. Um, I find that what you're not seeing in, in the flip side of team games are all of the people that we've started mentioning, like the ones that you'd never normally throw a controller at. But my God, they made it through to like the third round because they just so happened to be bumbling about on a team that were like largely performing. And that for them is the most exciting thing that's happened to them that day. You know, like they, they got a win. So, uh, but they're never going to appear on Twitter and, and angrily shout at Ollie and tell him he's a monster and to kill the games. So, yeah, like I think basically, Mark, you're right. They are the most contentious games. And I think they offer the most potential for, for frustration in players. But I definitely fall on the side as uh, of feeling that they are an intrinsic part of the full guys' experience. And I think they're one of those things where if you took them away, there'd be something of the soul of full guys which is taken away with it. And people wouldn't, I don't think people would, would understand that until it's gone. Um, my, my final question I had is kind of related to community as well. And the, the way I've kind of observed the, the, the ripples of popularity that Fall Guys has had over the eight weeks. And like the first was that kind of, the first was the, the, the 
frantic word of mouth pretty much everybody i know that that owns a, a playstation telling me you know you got to play this shit you got to play it right now it's so much fun and then the second one which i think it would be remiss of us not to to give enormous credit to uh in, in such a a forum as this is the uh the social media game uh for fall guys is among the best i i have ever witnessed for a video game um how has that experience being like Fall Guys almost becoming a sentient meme as a game? Yeah, uh, terrifying um, and 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 just mesmerizing. Like uh, so, uh, for for those you know who aren't aware, um, our social media account is run by a guy called Oliver, um, who uh, is such an enigma of a personality. Yeah. When you, when you, is he okay? He's. <laughs> he's he's more than okay he's he's wonderful the thing is like i first interviewed ollie for the kind of community manager role um and he's just this like really sweet quiet guy and and my, my thing was like and in the moment he talks about his rats and he's just like oh yeah you know like, yeah i like this yeah this is really cool and he's all just like super chill and um I hadn't seen any of his like works. He did a whole bunch of YouTube and like videos and stuff um, beforehand. So I, I left the interview and I'm like, I really liked him, but like, is he? He seems a bit tame for a community manager. Like, is he going to be okay? And then someone showed me one of his YouTube videos. I'm like, oh my god, that is not the guy that I was just spent the last hour chatting to. He's he's doing this whole song on auto tune. He's belting it, you know. Um, and then that that's kind of what watching the Four Guys account was like, you know, like knowing Ollie and knowing that he's been playing this like quite quiet, like long game building a community for, for a long time. And then the the, the kind of the, the test sessions we had the two weekends before launch, um, he just he just seemed to intimately know how to respond to that, you know, it's like yeah. to send out the keys. And it's like watching a savant. You know, like uh, he he just responded so quickly to to all of these things that were happening around him, and like I am still, I am an old man, right? Like I turn forty next year, and I because of that, I will still think when I compose a tweet. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, what am I trying to say here? You know, like am I using the right words? And like Oliver was just like knocking out these like quite strategic like wonderful kind of messages like engage the community but with millions of people like what watching his every movement uh, and so I'm, I'm just amazed basically Oliver did incredible work and continues to do so yeah the the gradual move where you know I think when I first followed the Fall Guys account you know there's a lot of information coming out about you know patches and things like that and then there's like this slow drip feed of chaos and memes <laughs> that filter yeah. in to the point where now like every time I open the app I, I don't know there's always going to be a Fall Guys tweet that is just gonna like make me chuckle to myself I think the yeah. the, the night Mare fuel that was the fall guy skeleton diagram over oh, the God. weekend really yeah. sat with me for a while it sat with everyone that <laughs> that was that was probably one of the few times in the entirety of ollie's like uh posting history i'm like steady on mate are we are we <laughs> are we sure about this and he's like you know 15 million impressions i'm like i don't gosh i, I wish I, I wish i understood what that meant but it seems big so good on you you know uh so yeah it's it's are, are you willing to confirm that as canon then 
Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> Monstrous. God, I thought we get um, the scoop. <laughs> yeah, I was on. I was on a. I was on a podcast later on. Um, I think like the, a, a day later, and uh, Oliver with Oliver, and he was like, "Yeah, I, I just put it out there, and and and, and now everyone seems to think that it's canon." I'm like that's because you literally wrote this is canon alongside <laughs> the page, <laughs> and your words have a strength, Oliver. Uh, but yeah, like it's it's a, I would I will not confirm that because um, it <laughs> sickens and fills me with despair every time I look at it. But I'm glad everyone's getting a kick out of it. My uh, so my last question would be kind of on the back of like what Mark's saying about community saying what they they like and dislike about the game and Dave talking about the social media game. In this whole whirlwind of the last few months, what is the one piece of feedback? And it might have meant something to you just because of it, like completely hit the spot of everything you were going for, or it might have been specifically the person uh, who gave it, say publicly, that has meant the most about the game that you've received so far. I always, it's little things, right? Um, of course, yeah. Like seeing, okay, so I, the, there was this two celebrity endorsements, um, which I blew, blew me away. Knowing um, that Zowie Bowie uh, had been playing Four Guys with his son, and therefore, like, just this direct descent from David Bowie uh, was like, well, that's just blown my mind, you know, like, that's totally fine. Um, but I think, like, weirdly, only because... Okay, so this is the one that hit me, and this is so ridiculous. Um, I watched Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, yes, I don't know if you guys yes. It. It's like a beautiful, like, wonderful, wonderful thing. And um, the most recent, sadly, already cancelled, but, you know, if anyone who's an MST3K fan knows that, that it being cancelled is just a part of its life cycle. Uh, like, Felicia Day was incredible uh, in the new series and um i every time i see her post that she's playing four guys again i'm just like thank you because you gave me so much joy from like those two series like those two most recent series of, of, of msc3k so generally yeah just like watching people who have brought me like a measure of joy oh yeah and mark hoppus as well what the hell man like mark <laughs> nice that was my uh you know an enemy of the state was the the first album I bought when I went to university um, and I was, you know, I was 18 when that came out and it's an album in, like, specifically targeted at 18 year olds going to university. Very much uh, so. So yeah, like um, that's, that's all been really great. As for, as for like um, pointed feedback, um, Shuhei Yoshida has just been an incredible um, supporter of the game um, and having him just kind of badger me for Jeff, I, you know, this thing doesn't work as well for the Japanese audience. Can you fix it? I'm like, yeah, fuck, man, of course. <laughs> you know, you know, like, whatever. Uh, I think him coming in has been uh, super great. And then uh, there was uh, there's a woman named uh, Jennifer Schell who did a breakdown on, on like, why uh, the four guys around successful. And what was beautiful was not only was, like, a really well-researched piece and a really well-written piece, but, like, on some of them, word for word, she'd managed to repeat our game pillars back to us. And I'm like, they're like how we thought about the rounds and the pillars that we set up before we kind of called a, a, a four guys round, a four guys round, a four guys round. She'd almost laid them out in the same way. And seeing that back just meant a huge amount to the design team because it meant that, like, we weren't crazy and, and we had to kind of remain true to what we were trying to do. 
Nice. Uh, yeah. Any descendancy to to David Bowie is fucking cool. And everything else he said, totally on board with it. But the Mark Coppice one, my word. Uh, as a kid, <laughs> he was a bass player uh, and also like a, a very young teen when I first heard Enema of the State. Yeah, that one definitely yeah. put a massive smile on my face. I know the Bowie thing should, should be more, but I'm like, wow, Mark Hoppus. Um, right, Mark Hoppus. He was always the good one as well. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> the, the most sane of them all, yes. Yeah. So my, my last question, which is um, kind of related to everything you've been doing recently, but also kind of transitioning into um, some of the other, other stuff that we talk about. Uh, what what has been your kind of development music playlist? Uh, you know, and it could be anything from uh, this year. It could be anything from the last twenty years. Uh, you know, the last time we spoke, we basically stuck to like the mid two thousands of British rock music. But uh, I'm curious to see if uh, anything has evolved since then. If there's anything that's taken uh, you've taken a liking to. Yeah, uh, there's 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 lots, and I'll, I'll I'll try and kind of keep it in uh, some kind of control. So uh, for general kind of like chill out vibes, I am always and forever digging Go Go Penguin at the moment, who are this kind of, uh, God, what's the best thing? They're like if you took post rock, but it, but it was post rock being delivered entirely by like a jazz triplet. So like a big double bass piano and drums of mesmerizing skill. Uh, and, and you just took like the really melodic kind of twinkly parts of post rock and, and, and threw it back at someone in that format. That's Go Go Penguin. They are prolific. They, they keep on turning out beautiful music, incredible albums. They did like a side project where they um, just rescored the entire um, super depressing um, film, Koyanis Kwatsi experimental movie. They just rescored the entire thing and then played it live. Uh, so they're, they're good when I just need like no, people not putting words in my head and I just need some incredible soundtrack um, they, they they were there and very very good um, for like what traditional kind of like rock bands I've basically there's this uh, series of um, they keep on like splitting up and reforming in various ways and have done since the early 2000s there's a band called The Little Explorer who are phenomenal, who then split up and reformed as a band called Crash of Rhinos, who are somehow even more phenomenal. Uh, and then they split up and uh, some of them reformed as a three piece who somehow make more complex music and louder music. And, and, and again, incredibly, somehow even better music than the two previous bands combined. So Holding Patterns uh, released an album called uh, God, I can't even remember. I'm the worst person. If they were listening to this now, which of course they weren't, I've, I've killed the one opportunity. Um, and it is uh, just a phenomenal. If you are at all into like Fugazi or any kind of like uh, emo, but emo but done right and not kind of like super self-serving in any way. Basically, emotional hardcore in the way that it's 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 okay to have feelings, but I'm not asking you to cry for me, kind of thing, you know. Last um, jaw, I guess, maybe a modern yeah, yeah, point yeah. of reference. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, seriously, um, like holding, the Holding Patterns album is an absolute endless. It's called Endless, and it's an absolute masterpiece. Nice. So, 
So development playlist is one thing, but kind of in the same way you might pair a, a nice meal with a fine bottle of wine. If you were to recommend one band or, or one album even uh, to pair nicely with a good round of Fall Guys, what would it be? Oh, my God. That is such a good question. Why don't I have an immediate go to answer for it? Uh, OK. I'm, I'm thinking about this. My, my initial jump to would be, I think, some of the the, the, the bangier stuff from Inside Watch You From Afar. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I think, like, I, I'd say yeah. Airs or Gang Zero, Inside Watch You From Afar, is just going to give you some, some big tunes uh, and also kind of keep you pumped all the way through. So just because that's where my brain went it might not be the best answer but i think that's where i've gone so uh, hell i'm sticking with it and and look i i appreciate you playing to my ego and picking an irish band so right exactly you can take yeah. that <laughs> and I, I i'll back you on gangs that is a fantastic record i saw them around that that tour that's that might have actually oh, really? yeah so i was meant to see them just before all of this uh covid stuff kicked off because they were doing a show at the south bank and I think they were doing uh, music to picture, kind of like you were talking about earlier with uh, yes. Go Go Penguin. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I had that booked up, and that was one of the uh, that was one of the uh, downsides of everything, uh, not being able to see them. But yeah, Gangs is probably my favourite record, and I overuse the track seven billion people all alive at once on way too many playlists because there's, there's a perfect blend of like softer post rock and then just going absolutely crazy and it's uh, so, yeah. so so good so good and and live when everyone just does the debt there's because this is like yes. this is close they get to lyrics you know uh, so I mean, yeah good times i i hadn't considered like what i would listen to while playing fall guys or what would kind of be a, a suitable um to go alongside it and like the soundtrack actually of fall guys does remind me a little bit of um splatoon um, yeah. in there, this kind of like Japanese punk kind of vibe to it. And I immediately kind of thought about, okay, maybe Mad Capture Markets, yes. maybe that would go pretty well yeah, with yeah. And uh, as soon yeah. as we stop recording this, I'm going to go and try that. Yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. That's, that's probably like a really close shout. Well, thanks for putting up with our uh, exhaustive questions, Jeff. Uh, we'll, uh, you can relax now, sit back, take a breather, because we're, we'll just get into our, our, our regular bullshit here on this clown show uh, and chat about some of the stuff we've been playing lately. Um, and you know what? Uh, I'm going to shoot straight to Mark on this one. I have a couple of things. Um, I spoke a whole bunch about Hades uh, last week and I wasn't like 100% on board with Hades at that time. Uh, and I want to uh, confidently, confidently say that I've done a complete 180 and Hades is actually really fucking great. And um, uh, I, I think part of it is that I, I, I spent about a good kind of three, four hours just like doing run after run and getting into, you know, that kind of like Tetris Zen mode where all the blocks start to make sense and fall into place. It was kind of like that, but with Hades um, and I also cranked up the music and the soundtrack, like whoever they got to play bass on this soundtrack, he is just they were like, you know, what? you do your thing. We'll just kind of work the, the rest of the music around you because it it's vibing uh yeah hades is very very good and the more i play it the more everything you know is really coming together 
I'm still, I think, and again, I think maybe a large portion of this is just because I came to it this year. I do think I still prefer Dead Cells. I do think that the, the kind of general flow uh, of Dead Cells is just a little bit more, I don't know, slick or seamless. Um, but I, I strongly, strongly recommend uh, that you will jump onto Hades at some point if you haven't already. The uh, the Mark will love Dead Cells is ultimate Dave was right folder I think strongly yes I, I yes you were very much right and <laughs> I apologise that I took me like three years to get to it but God bless Xbox Game Pass yeah <laughs> are, are you're sure you're you're still sure you're not on the take from Microsoft and all this Game no, Pass no honestly I'm not I honestly I know I bring other it services out at least are once a week has Phil Spencer <laughs> bought Mark like I know he's been buying studios but is he buying humans yet I'm I'm interested uh, I can confidently say that I'm not Bethesda so uh, well, that's no, that's but, what they'd yeah. say though <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um, I've also been playing a game called Art of Rally. Uh, that is this kind of like low-fire, low-poly rally game. Um, it, it doesn't, you know, kind of play or feel like a Colin McRae or a V-Rally or whatever. It's, it's a lot more... Um, I don't want to say arcadey. It's definitely not as a simulation type of game, but you uh, it's, it's you immediately of... took my questions away. That I was going to be coming in with the is it like Colin McRae or V-Rally? Just no, no, it's games. not. Um, it's it's. It's just, it's a lot more lo-fi, um, but it has this kind of aesthetic to it because it seems to be like a homage to, I don't know, 70s and 60s rallying with like the cars and vehicles of that time. And it has all these uh, like descriptions and this dialogue about rallying at the time that I have no idea if it's, if it's fictional or not or what the deal is. Um, but then the thing that's the most surprising is that it has this absolutely fucking banging synth retro wave soundtrack playing over the top of it that doesn't seem like it should be appropriate, but absolutely is. And the entire time I've been playing it, I'm like, I wish the Streets of Rage 4 soundtrack had been this because it's fucking incredible. Um, and it's 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 weird because it's, you know, there's like, again, because it's so called low poly or low fire, like you and the camera is... Um, you're not like directly behind the car. You're actually kind of quite high up looking down at the car So you always have a uh, kind of like a wide uh, view of the environment around you <clears throat> And certainly on some of the levels like the Japanese level um, You've got all of the you know the the pink the trees with like the pink leaves and that kind of like typical scene that you'd expect to see in Japan and it's really beautiful and you'd like the way that they play with the light and how you look like you've got like the sunset off in the distance and it you know it has photo modes you can kind of stop and, and it does a really kind of nice thing with like the blur and the point of view in the background and it's just it's a very it has a very kind of calming vibe to it but at the same time has this banging retro synthwave soundtrack and it it seems like it should be quite jarring but it actually works really well and um yeah that that gives a real strong recommendation from me um, so, uh, yeah, I think I might have sent one of you to a clip of it, but like in terms of the actual soundtrack, uh, unfortunately I can't find it available like on YouTube or anything, because as soon as I started playing it, I immediately went to YouTube and put in Art of Rally OST, but there was only like one song from there at the moment, but you can, I think you can buy it with the soundtrack as like uh, an additional thing that a lot of, uh, like indie games tend to do these days. Um, so yeah, so they're the main two things, and then I've been getting more into like board games and card games because 
um, as we kind of look forward to what looks to be an inevitable type of second lockdown over here in Ireland, um, myself and the girlfriend have been like, all right, let's actually get some like board games or you, something. You are actually to... currently locally locked down, aren't you? Um, we're not in a like a full lockdown as we yeah. were before. You can't leave the county, are... though. No, we can't leave the county. That's yeah. that's our jam at the moment. So, you know, good fun. But we, uh, yeah, we were kind of thinking about because we've got some board games in the house. Like we've got Monopoly and Catan, but they're not great two-player games. Uh, I don't feel. Um, so we we had a couple of things, a couple of games. Like we we picked up Uno because like why don't we have Uno? Everyone should have Uno. Um, we we were introduced to a game not too long ago called Coup. Uh, which is it's a very kind of quick, snappy, like 15-minute game where you're given two cards and um, there's like a bunch of different roles. There's like the captain, the assassin, the contessa, and basically you can like eliminate your opponents by like you can claim that, okay, I'm the assassin and I can you, you pick up coins each round. And if you have three coins, you can claim that you're the assassin and then like take one of your opponent's cards or eliminate one of their cards but they can um contest that and like because you don't have to say you don't have to be the assassin you can just say that you are you could be lying and your opponent kind of has to work out whether you're bluffing or not and if you get it right and they were bluffing they lose the card but obviously if you're wrong you lose your card and you lose another card and it's it's very kind of a quick like 10 15 minute very kind of snappy type of uh card game that i've really been enjoying as well so yeah, they're, they're mostly the, the things, um, and I actually think that going forward you'll probably hear me kind of bringing up different board and card games that I, I want to get into, um, because it's, I think Maria's starting to get a little bit sick that I've, you know, I spent like a good three, four hours hammering through about 70 stars on Mario Galaxy, so I'm like, okay, let's, let's do some gaming together, and we've got the, the Oculus Quest 2 arriving in a couple of weeks, so... Wow, um, big purchase. Like, yeah, well, she played Beat Saber once, and she was like, I have to play Beat Saber more. Um, so I didn't give her super hot VR to try, but I'm pretty sure when we get to that, she'll uh, she'll be hooked. So, yeah. Dave, do you remember me trying to play super hot VR at your house and just taking yeah. ages to pick up a gun or anything? And, and punching me in the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real sorry about that, <laughs> retrospectively. <laughs> Even though you weren't at the time. <laughs> no, because I didn't know where I was. VR is so de like completely sensually debilitating that like when you're in it and when you come out of it, it takes me a few minutes to adjust back yeah. to the real world. I don't know if anyone else feels like that. Yeah, and I think in our case in particular, like my my little office here in in my house, is it's perfectly fine for one person sitting in the room playing something on VR because you know you're you can get far enough apart from everything. But as soon as you put a second person into the mix, you're you're asking for target practice. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> um, I have been playing now. You may not have heard of it, guys. Uh, a little game called Super Mario sixty four. Ah uh, yes, uh, I don't think we've watch. had your thoughts on the uh, on the the All Stars collection yet because uh, me and Mark have have been making our way through it for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so I've been away the last couple of weeks on the show, but I I got to it and I'm kind of doing the thing where I want 100% all three of them, so I haven't touched Sunshine or Galaxy at all. <laughs> oh, so you're going for the full 120 on I 64? Am, then. I am absolutely because I do it every couple of years anyway. I think I said that on the, on the show before. Yeah um so it's not like it'll be when i get to sunshine i'll be regretting that commitment for sure <laughs> um 
but uh yeah like it's I, i'm sure you've probably reflected on it uh already so i won't i don't want to tread over old ground here but um like it <laughs> it's definitely like it it's a fine and, and serviceable port like i think the way uh the thing uh stretches and upscales the ac aspect ratio on my tv um the way it looks uh, in handheld mode on the switch as well looks fine you know what i mean it's not it's obviously not full remake territory um there are you know regrets that oh god it wouldn't be nice if they did this wouldn't be nice if they did that like giving you kind of uh, more control over the camera with the right stick or or something like that um but by and large i i think we had kind of set our expectations that this was pretty much the version of 64 we were going to get like kind of the the bare minimum of um changes made to make it adaptable for the switch as opposed to kind of like fully getting in there and completely upgrading quality of life to be in, in line with with 2020 standards uh, it's going to be interesting as the weeks and months unfold and and hearing back um you know how many people who hadn't played 64 before bounce off it and and how much it's kind of buoyed by the nostalgia because i imagine it's uh like the way the camera handles the way the game handles um because it hasn't been tinkered with too much i i can imagine there will be people trying to play it for the first time they're just like okay we're just going to skip on by to to uh sunshine um but yeah that's where i'm at at the moment i think i'm at about 65 stars in the in the couple of weeks i've been playing on and off so yeah more thoughts on that as i work my way through the trilogy i know uh mark has been driven crazy by the, the camera in galaxy so i'm not uh i'm not wildly optimistic those camera issues are going to get better for me as i go along but uh I'm, I'm still enjoying the nostalgia trip which is getting me through the the slight moments of frustration with, with cameras and whatever um the other thing i've been playing is something that i think both of you guys have been at me to to get into to see if i can recommend it for either or both of you and that's marvel avengers yes it's very so, interested to hear your takes on this one yeah i really like it's been such an interesting game to watch in the build-up to it coming out because i think like from the moment the concept was announced myself and jack would have been excited and then there was a lot of stuff coming out and um, the vertical slices of the game we were seeing in, in build-up i think were making us uh i think cautious would be the diplomatic word to to use here uh, and at some points it was uh, some of the things we were seeing were, were downright off-putting um i wasn't gonna pick it up and then change my mind based on like a lot of people like the daniel dwyers of the world saying actually the campaign in this is pretty rock solid uh and i'm having a good time um and you know what i'm kind of in line with that i'm about five six hours into it now and it seems like it seems like it'll be a short enough campaign like maybe 10 to 12 hours in the end um and i'm seeing pretty much everything uh people have reported about it there is i will say it's got an incredibly strong opening that takes place at this avengers celebration um it's it's so good for nerds like you and me jack that will like notice different things different references that are being made uh as a comic book fan i love so much that kamala khan miss marvel seems to be the main character of this game which is something i was not aware of leading up to it i knew she was in it but i didn't realize she is the protagonist of this game and that would have gotten me massively more on board because she's one of my favorite characters in marvel the last few years 
Um, in terms of what you actually do in it, the game looks, you know, good enough. It doesn't look as good as maybe other games that have come out this year. You know, games like Last of Us have really set the bar for uh, visuals on, on PlayStation uh, 4 and, you know, even Red Dead Redemption before that. It doesn't look anywhere in the same league as those. This looks kind of like maybe early PS4 life cycle in, in terms of visual quality, visual fidelity. Um, but it, it handles pretty decently and um it isn't it also doesn't look as bad as some of the the kind of beta footage we had seen out there in the wild um the story i would say is engrossing enough to keep you going i can see what the the hang-ups people have about how after a certain amount of hours you kind of after the very linear opening which is action-packed and fantastic and gives you a go of a bunch of the different avengers um, it settles down into a pattern of like a large hub with a bunch of different things to do in it in, in a location and then you move on uh, to pick different locations from your holodeck in um, or I can't remember what the, the name of the equivalent of the holodeck is on the uh, on, on the, your base but um, once it settles into that rhythm I can see the concerns people have about it being a little bit repetitive a, a lot of the the activities specifically the side activities in it are kind of variations on a theme so I think it's one of those where your mileage may vary it depends on how like into the story you are to that point and it depends on how into that kind of world you are uh, whether you it will wash off you or you will enjoy just ticking away at stuff and hearing the the kind of lines of dialogue where everybody is quipping back and forth or the bits of story development here or there. Um, at this point, about halfway through, I would say it's a reasonably good recommend for Jack, especially when the price starts to come down a little bit as we get towards like Black Friday and things. Uh, and at this point, I'm very much at a, I don't think I'd recommend it for Mark. <laughs> Yeah, I, that and Ghost of Tsushima look like two things that I want to try and pick up a little bit of a discount on, uh, yeah. and then it's I'll not, it, fly it, through. It's not too dissimilar in the way I'd recommend Ghost of Tsushima to you, although I will say Ghost of Tsushima is fucking gorgeous to look yeah. at. Yes, uh, you know. it looks incredible, yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, Jeff, what about you? Is, uh, with all the, uh, the the hubble of the last eight weeks since launch, have you had much time to, to sit back and, and play anything in your spare time? Yes, I definitely have. Uh I've been kind of, I considered going back to um, Super Mario 64, um, but I, I kind of feel like my first experience of that game um, was perfect. and I never kind of want to ruin it, which is, I say perfect. I mean, it was, I killed an entire weekend uh, and I did nothing. I, I, I moved away from my bedroom to kind of grab slices of toast occasionally. And, uh, and then my hand was fused into a claw uh, I got the 120 stars. My hand was fused into claw for the next two days. Um, and I kind of feel like, well, that experience probably can't and shouldn't ever be repeated. Yeah. Uh, but I, I never played Galaxy, so I've been... Um, I never owned a Wii, which is shocking admission. Um, so I've been really enjoying kind of going back and dipping into that. And I think Mark mentioned that, you know, yeah, just like knocking out 70 stars on the side kind of thing. And it's it's been like that for me, like any good Mario game. It's like crack, you know, you just you, you just can't help but get one more star and be amazed that all of these um, discrete experiences, so many discrete experiences are created for this one, you know, this one star kind of thing. Um, so I've been playing a lot of that and loving it. I've also uh, jumped back into Spelunky 2 or jump well, jump back into Spelunky by, by kind of picking up Spelunky 2. And um, that just proves that I hate myself uh, more than anything else because it's, I was kind of thinking, 
I've got good muscle memory. This is going to be good. I'm going to discover a whole bunch of new secrets and it's going to be amazing. And then it feels like Derek, you specifically designed a game to take advantage of the muscle memory of people who got good at the first game. Well, and no one got, gets good at Splunky, but got passable at the first game. And uh, like even the mines, like the first place you go to, it's just um, just uh, the, the few things that he's added are just enough that I'm dying all over again and all of my confidence is completely shot. Uh, and I'm terrible at it, but I, I'm not giving up yet. So yeah, I've been, that's where I've been spending most of my time. I, I picked up Spelunky today because it was uh, launched on Steam today. And yeah, yeah. Like, Spelunky is pretty much my game of the last generation. Uh, I, yeah. I absolutely adore that game. Yes. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't want to pick your brain too much, but I've been desperate to talk to people that have played it to just give me some sense of what to expect and. Because I've not really, I, you know, I have I've not watched too much footage because I want to go in as you know as as, as, as fresh of experience to it as possible. But how much of like a sequel to like an expansion does it feel of the first? Because just from the outset looking in, it does look like more of Spelunky, you know, like because yeah. compared to say like Risk of Rain, where the the first one is a two D uh, roguelike, and then Risk of Rain two is like a full on kind of three D roguelike. And it doesn't look like there's like that much different, but I imagine that there's so many kind of secrets and like the original that you just kind of discover with time. Like, th does it feel more like an expansion or a sequel? Or what does it feel like in regards to that? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I've been wrestling with it myself because I can, I, I, like you, I adore Spelunky. I think it's a masterpiece, the original. So coming to this, like, it feels churlish to say that it feels more like an expansion than a sequel, but I think in many ways it it does. But I think in order to experience the new stuff, I think that's my fault, right? Because in Spelunky, it's like route one. Um, and, and after you kind of get to a certain skill level with it, you're, you're basically like, I'm getting to the city of gold and then I'm getting to hell. You know, like that's my plan. And everything is built around um, you executing on that plan. So, hoping there's a jetpack at some point. Hoping there's a jetpack at some point, right? And, and and kind of working with it. And I think the difficult thing is there's probably a lot more. And I've you know I've looked at some of the the wikis. There's a lot more to discover in uh, Spelunky too, but I am really struggling with breaking out of that that cycle that I've already got into. And because you know there is still a key in a chest in the first mine, like the the entrance to the jungle if you choose to go to the jungle and that's like a major divergent point like at the end of the mines you can you can go one of two different ways if you choose to go to the jungle like the way to find your way to the black market is largely unchanged as well so the fact that it's put enough of those things in there and the fact that we can even talk like you know mines jungle and that kind of progression um is what makes it feel like in, in some ways like an expansion to me. I struggle to get out of that loop because it's what I it's what I understand, you know, and it's the way I've kind of built around playing it. And um, I tried the other day to be like, oh, you know, well, actually, if you go to, you know, if you don't go to the jungle, if you go to this alternate place, you can put the eye into this thing and then um, you can discover this castle and in there you can X, Y, and Z. And I, I, I did that and um, the, the payoff wasn't, because I knew that was in pursuit of a single item to make things easier, like the payoff to me didn't seem to be worth it. And so, like, basically, I, I, I need to I need to 
delve into the wikis more. There's a there's a real the, the first kind of like subversion, like real subversion comes um, at the end of the, the jungle or you know, the other route that you can take. And that's when you start to realise like, OK, something very different is happening here. But it, I, I haven't got my head around what the routes are yet. I've not settled on, on a cycle that I feel comfortable with yet. And therefore, uh, every game feels like I'm, I'm going into it like an idiot. And and I don't know if I'm doing well or doing badly. And what I eventually loved about the first Blanky is the moment you set your sights on, you know, ultimately I want to get to hell, then it was really easy to tell like if a game was going well or you were doing clutch, you know, if you managed to like turn around a really bad run and kind of keep things going. And I've not reached that point with Spelunky 2 yet. So weirdly, despite me being super impressed with all the things that he's added, um, I am not enjoying it as much as I thought I would. But that's <laughs> not, that's my fault, not the game. Like the game is great. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious to come to it as well. I mean, like for me, um, coming from like fresh off of Dead Cells this year, the thing that has me interested is, because as you mentioned there, with Spelunky, um, there is like, you kind of like set yourself in a specific route that you're going to take and the way that you do a specific route requires you to, you know, perform a couple of like specific steps to get to, to hell or whatever. Yeah. But with Dead Cells, while there are like, uh, you know, specific doors that you have to go through to get to different areas, it, it flows a lot more naturally and you're not really thinking about it or certainly when I was playing it, like if I wanted to get to one area, you just kind of end up there because you just get into the flow of... Yeah going through a room, clearing enemies, getting whatever the, the item upgrade is, coming out, going to the next area and just kind of doing that. And then at some point, you know, you just, you end off going off of the beaten path and you're like, oh, right, okay, I could leave here if I want to. And the choice is more about, do I want to leave now thinking that I probably, I'm under the timer to get like the additional cells or have I gone past the timer? So fuck it, I'm just gonna you know continue to explore this area and pick up all the different items. Yeah. Like I think the, the thing with Dead Cells is it's more about like the speed of which you go through a level, than where Spelunky is just pure like you need to take your time because there's the traps and you know like Dead Cells is more combat orientated where Spelunky is very much more hey here's a trap hey you actually are gonna be like Indiana Jones and try yeah. to make sure you don't die to everything. Yeah, I find of Dead Cells. Um... It, it feels so good to play that you, you know, you, you're happy to go on a run, even though I, my feeling with Dead Cells, and this is probably you know, an indication that I'm not very good at Dead Cells, is I can only complete a run when all of, you know, the power-ups kind of combine in a way where I'm like, yes, I am. And that's, getting... that's Roguelikes 101. Really. Right, exactly, yeah. you know. Um, but I, but I, I agree with the kind of, like, what you're saying there around, like, genuinely, I... I can I can almost switch off for switch off my brain a bit playing Dead Cells and just kind of like ease through the experience and feel good doing it. Whereas Spelunky just requires you to be hyper alert at all times because something will kill you suddenly. Yeah, I mean Dead Cells is more kind of hack and slashy as a roguelike. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely as you say there, like you have to be hyper aware. It's more Spelunky is more methodical. Um, and I'm I'm gonna be curious coming back to like that type of game in 2020 where. Um, honestly, my attention span isn't as once what it used to be. Like, you know, I could spend three or four hours going through runs of Spelunky and retaining that level of attention. I think I'll probably get through like one or two runs of Spelunky and turn it off and fucking go play Hades or something. Yeah. Uh, which is also more kind of hack and slashy, I guess. 
Um, so I, I'm curious for myself, like my mindset now at 32 playing Spelunky is compared to when I was when I was younger. But I mean, it's still Spelunky, right? I, I have to yeah. enjoy it. I yeah. have to. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that's where we are for games. Um, so Jack, I think we've got one kind of last thing that we wanted to talk about, which is kind of pivotal in some ways. Yeah, so specifically today, the day that we're recording, is the 25th anniversary of the release date of the, the original PlayStation in the UK. Um, so really just wanted to get from you guys a few memories uh, and thoughts about the original PlayStation because Sony kind of coming from nowhere in the market and you know the rejection of them trying to work with nintendo to get some disc stuff going and and then them kind of turning heel on them and heading towards phillips uh and then ultimately just striking out on their own and thinking right we're gonna have a crack at this console game and pretty much changing the face of gaming not just from uh, an industry standpoint but also from uh, how you know we use digital media and stuff like that so yeah uh, what are some some memories for you guys in terms of, of of getting your original playstation some of the games that you liked and just overall uh, on playstation i'm gonna uh, go with dave first yeah i suppose mine will be the quickest uh, because i was very much <clears throat> you know in the 90s it was you kind of pick your tribe and you run with it so i was i was an n64 kid hardcore and uh i didn't get uh, a ps1 until like right before the ps2 came out my cousin was just like oh, i'm getting the ps2 day ones there you go uh, so like I had some fun with it. I don't have nearly the kind of like uh, the kind of nostalgia for it that that you guys might necessarily. Uh, but I have fond memories of things like, um, you know, when I think about it, I was maybe quite a morbid kid to enjoy this so much. But playing siphon filter and figuring out that you could use the taser and, and hold the taser on somebody until they started smoking and then burst into flames was something that I was. <laughs> I was just trying to like complete entire levels using the taser. At, Dave, at, at this sounds was... like the sketch of a serial killer. So <laughs> I, I, I honestly think about handing myself into a, a, a police station when I think about how much enjoyment I got out of it. I was like, I don't know if I, if that's a crime, but maybe it should be. Uh, yeah, as long <laughs> as you can progress to doing it for real afterwards, that's all uh, good. Not that I know of, anyway. But uh, yeah, like uh, apart from that, because like I wasn't, um, we've talked about it before in the show. Like I wasn't a Tony Hawk kid. I've come to that this year with the with the remake. Um, so it, it's always been interesting to hear the kind of parallel experiences people have had. When I was doubling down on, no, the N sixty four is where you got to be, guys. Uh, hearing from you guys who are getting deep in the weeds on like Final Fantasy and things like that. Okay, so I'll, I'll head to Mark next then. What, what have you got for us uh, in terms of your PlayStation initial memories and exposure and which games were doing it for you? So my initial memories, uh, for the longest time, the only games that I had for the original PlayStation were Tekken 2, Worms, and I had, I think, like two of the uh, demo CDs that came with, I think it's like the official PlayStation magazine, I can't remember the exact magazine it was. So I played like the first level of Crash Bandicoot about a hundred times uh, and I played like um, the, the quick like two minute match of um, Battle Arena to Shiden that you could play before it reset back to the, the demo screen. But you know, I coming from, I mean I was fortunate enough that I had the PlayStation and the N64 so um, 
I could experience Here he is some there, of the Billy Big Bollocks. Way yeah, there. I know, right? I know, right? <laughs> but I, I could experience some of the wonkiness that the PlayStation was trying to get through and trying to kind of figure out with with like three D gaming that you know Super Mario sixty four nailed on the first try, uh, and even some games today still can't quite compare to it. But actually, I remember uh, my mum played a lot of Doom. Um, and that was my first experience, other than like Mortal Kombat, that was my first experience with a more, you know, kind of like darker or more kind of like horror, I guess, type of experience uh, in video gaming. Uh, and I am not exactly one for horror games, so Doom when I was younger absolutely terrified me. Uh, and, you know, my mom tried to get me to play it once or twice. I was like, nope, I don't like this. I'm going to stick to Goldeneye. That's more, I'm going to be odd job and no one can shoot me. That's more my experience. That's more what I like. Um, but, you know, the PlayStation being that game that kind of ushered in the sort of teenage to young adult audience is, to this day, can still be felt. You know, it, it can't be, um, you can't understate, like, how pivotal the original PlayStation is in capturing, certainly in the UK, capturing the kind of vibe of the, the early 90s to mid-90s. That I know that um, we spoke about, I think, with Peter Wellington when he was on, because, you know, he, like, loves the original Wipeout. And, like, you know, it's like, okay, make the Prodigy into a video game console, and you have the original PlayStation, is, I think, like, the general kind of vibe and attitude of the original PlayStation. Um, and, you know, just with, like, the types of games that were there, with, with you know, stuff like Wipeout and Tomb Raider, and just, yeah, it, it cannot be understated, even though... There have been better consoles since, even though the PlayStation 2 sold umpteen more million copies uh, or units. Uh, that, that original PlayStation will stand the test of time, even though eh, if a lot of the games these days probably don't. So, uh, yeah, Jeff, it, it was funny when Mark was talking about um, he feels like the, the prodigy incarnate is what the PlayStation was. Like, as, as a fan, you were talking about Go Go Penguin earlier when you were talking about the way they sounded. It sounded a lot to me like uh, Aphex Twin. And I, I don't know if you remember those original PlayStation adverts, but they had a real kind of Aphex Twinny vibe to me. Yeah. Uh, just creeping me out a little bit. Yeah, like they had, I, there was a real, I mean, I think Mark's kind of hit the nail on the head because like the cultural impact of, of like Sony's marketing and the PlayStation, it was like the early 90s was such a deeply strange time, you know, like it's really hard to imagine it now in 2020 Brexit. But um, there was a time when the UK was was kind of cool, like as in like the, 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 what we kind of turned out in our, you know, our bands and, and like the games we were producing. Um, it felt like a really kind of exciting time, even though you look back now and like, oh my god, the bands were terrible. Like, and most of the, what most of what were turning out there was 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 really awful. Um, the kind of PlayStation just felt like this box of like absolute possibilities, and it it, it was the first time I'd go around someone's house and, you know, being closet gamer, uh, they'd be happy to have the PlayStation out, you know, and something like. Resident Evil, which took uh, something really socially acceptable, like horror movies, you know, which which placed them on a games console and just kind of opened up to this entire audience that just really, that just thought games consoles were entirely Mario, you know, Mario and Sonic. Um, it really did kind of blow everything wide open. And like my, my memories of the PlayStation were certainly Resident Evil, um, 
which was just like look you look back now and, and it looks ugly as hell but at the time i swear it was mind-blowing um the the wipeout 2097 um with you know firestarter kind of kicking in yes uh, just as you were kind of like working your way around the first track uh, nothing like it and uh and i think you can't talk about the playstation era without understanding that like there was a generation of, of kids that had grown up with their Super Nintendo, knowing that the Super Nintendo was the go-to for JRPGs, you know. Um, and I think one of the most successful things the original PlayStation did was become the home for JRPGs in general, you know, like it it courted Squaresoft um, and Crystal Dynamics before that, who turned out some really interesting like Legacy of Kane games. Um, but 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 honestly, the the Final Fantasy Seven, I have never anticipated a game before or since more than I anticipated Final Fantasy Seven when I was seventeen years old. You know, like I it, it felt like waiting for Christmas times twenty, uh, and and that moment of like first putting in the disc and seeing what they delivered and realizing that the game wasn't just as good as I hoped it would be. It was better and bigger and had so much more to it than I could possibly fathom um, was a real special moment. So yeah, the PlayStation is good. Thumbs up. Well done, those people. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I do remember. I think, and I don't know if it's it's through the um, rose-tinted spectacles, Jeff, but that first moment of the train coming in, and I guess people look at it now and probably graphically won't be that hyped by it and stuff and and the way that they put it in the remake uh, was pretty awesome and having the same sort of demo uh level that we had originally with it yeah but that that just that set of midgar and we just collapse in and we see the train speeding through like to me that's still one of the most like it just evokes emotion in me moments that i've ever had in gaming yeah um and and so much else previous to that had required the player to kind of suspend disbelief and we were happy to you know like in Final Fantasy VI I'm happy to imagine this guy's suplexing a ghost train and that's cool um yeah. but it was just like the, the jumped Final Fantasy VII were like no we're going full cinematic and you know there's there's a good argument to be said that there were some because of the the legacy of Final Fantasy VII um, we we managed to get less interesting Final Fantasy games since you know not all of them but some of them because yeah. there was a, a much greater focus on the cinematic and the spectacle over the systems and the game itself. But at the time, like you say, it was absolutely mind blowing, and there was a, there's a game there to back it up as well. I still think the material system is fantastic. Yeah, I I agree, and and unfortunately, yeah, I think kind of since the PlayStation, PlayStation 2 era of Final Fantasy games, it has been really diminishing returns, I guess, um, from Square. But, you know, we, we got a Final Fantasy 16 uh, announcement the other day, and they've kind of gone back to the sort of medieval, gothic-y kind of feel to it. So yeah. m- maybe that will bring something interesting, he says, kind of through gritted teeth, uh, <laughs> potentially knowing that it won't. But, you know... I don't know about you, Jeff, but when it comes to gaming, uh, I'll remain an eternal optimist and yeah. I could sit and hate an experience with a game and bury it over and over again. But then they will announce a new game version of it five <laughs> minutes later and I'll be the first guy on the bandwagon to be excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think a crucial word that you mentioned there as well, um, to, to kind of round this up as well, was the word cinematic. 
Uh, and I think that's very crucial with the PlayStation in like it was the real kind of first time that you had that cinematic quality to, to a video game and the two obvious examples one as you mentioned there is with Final Fantasy 7 and the other being Metal Gear Solid um, oh yes that entire introduction with um, Snake and um, and kind of being you know introduced to like hey this is what's going on this is what you're doing uh, Obviously, you know, in, in 2020, it does look a bit dated, but at the time, even I, as someone who's not the biggest NGS fan, I cannot overlook the fact that the in terms of, like, cinematic quality and something that you're playing, but also kind of watching as well and taking in in a, in a different way when it comes to video games. Um, yeah, I mean, that game is, is massively crucial in terms of, like, showing games in, in, in a whole new light, I guess. Yeah, I, the the moment of uh, Snake taking off all of his uh, like sneaking Scoobery gear in the lift, and then the lift just coming up, and then that title flash of uh, Metal Gear Solid Tactical Espionage action across the screen, that is also etched in my soul as a moment where I'm like, oh my god, this is the fucking coolest thing ever. Um, you know, I just tactical espionage action. I don't know what it is about the three words that Kojima probably just threw out there, but um, <laughs> it, made, it made a whole lot of sense to me when I was a kid for me to get really excited. And um, like just to maybe add a little bit more of a jovial element, because I think you guys have, have really covered like some of the the cool elements of of, of what game was around that time. Dave, especially with the you know, I was part of this tribe and. I think consoles are very much what your your parents got you. So my parents, um, I had a Game Boy, and in theory, my logical choice would have been N64, but I can't figure why. I think I, I just really was excited about a PlayStation. So I remember my, my parents bought me it for Christmas, and, you know, at the time, they neither one of them had like an amazing job so it was probably kind of a big financial commitment for them and i just remember like getting in setting it up my dad helping me hook it up scar cables and all of that good stuff uh on christmas day uh and i remember like 15 20 minutes later my mum came in and she was like you know we've spent a lot of money on this so i'm gonna see if i can play it and uh i handed her a controller because i happened to be playing the rally because it came boxed in with the deal that they got me from like argos or somewhere like that and uh, I think my mum crashed about 10 times in the first two minutes of playing V-Rally and she just put the controller down and in a very mum-like way, she just went, this is nice, dear, but it's not for me. And I don't think I've ever seen my mum try and play another video game. So <laughs> I feel like my mum's 25th year anniversary PlayStation review would be those two minutes of V-Rally where she was bidding it constantly over and over again into the jungle. But yeah. That kind of uh, warms my soul to, to sit back and think about that. But yeah, obviously, Final Fantasy, Metal Gear Solid, the original Resident Evil games, uh, all of those, the Tony Hawk games. Oh, my God. My brain when I first played that warehouse demo level. And it's cool that 21 years later, I got to relive that all over again. And yeah, nostalgia is a, a super powerful tool. Um, and I think in the last few years, unfortunately, People have, have, have manipulated people's nostalgia in a negative way to, to get them to kind of be more close minded about things. But the thing that I love about manipulating video game nostalgia is because it's such a creative and uh, visceral thing and it means different things to different people. When you manipulate people's nostalgia, it takes them back to a happy place. And video gaming is such a, an overtly positive thing for, for me and in everything that uh, it has been to me over the years. It's escape. It's a window into a different 
realm in a lot of ways whether it's you know like me playing uh, a couple of rounds of four guys um plug plug for a few minutes and, <laughs> and putting a big smile on my face or getting lost in the junction system of final fantasy 8 um you know to try and get 100 ultimas so i can destroy a boss and me taking like two hours to do that it, it doesn't matter and yeah uh, playstation was the first home console experience that, that i was really hands-on and i've got deep memories of so always going to have mad love for that well uh, a comprehensive look back that has given me the uh the urge to play some old games over the weekend i think um but with that we'll bring this episode to a close uh jeff i want to thank you very much uh for joining us on the show this week it's been a really interesting chat really lots of fun um before we get out of here uh do you have any plugs for us yeah, there's Four Guys is a game that probably no one's heard of. Um, I'd really appreciate it if you got out there and bought it and played the video game. Um, otherwise, you know, God knows what will happen to us. Uh, thank you. It's been lovely to come on today and it's been really fun chatting with you guys. Brilliant. Uh, well, without further ado, that brings an end to another episode of Link to the Cast. We're available on Twitter at Link to the Cast, where you can follow us, tell us what you've been enjoying, what you've not been enjoying about the show, and uh, hear about the shows as they're posted. Uh, as we often say, we are also available everywhere good podcasts are sold. So just uh, search in your podcast app of choice, and you should be able to find us individually. I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter. Mark is at Mark Robinson X2, and Jack is at Jack Lazell. Until next episode, guys. See you then.